Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to amazing, tantalising, scrumptious people from across the globe that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. Now today's guest is a swashbuckling, awesome comedy promoter all the way from Manchester. He runs one of the best comedy clubs in the country. It's called Nodding Dog. It is an absolutely fascinating comedy club and he's an absolutely awesome guest who you're going to absolutely love. Let's say hello to Kev Rook. How are we doing? I'm good. How are you, man? Not too bad. What did you think of that intro? (laughs) That was nice. I like swashbuckling. That's a wonderful term. I like that. I'm going to put that on the next poster. (laughs) Swashbuckling, tantalising, scintillating. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with. I'll, I'll, I don't want to get done by trades description, so I'll just go with swash, swashbuckling. I think Tra- <laughs> trades descriptions you can get done by that. What, what, what would... I, I don't. I, I don't know. Tantalising. That, uh, that's maybe maybe ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Scintillating. I mean, I, I my wife for one would probably disagree with that statement. So, uh, yeah, swashbuckling, <laughs> swashbuckling. I think I can argue in a court of law. So I'll stick with that one. Okay, we'll make sure that stays in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Now, tell us a bit about your journey, Kev. How did you um, get into comedy and how have you become? How did you set up Nodding Dog? Yeah, cool. So let's go go back in the day, mate. Let's let's wind it right back. Um, So, yeah, always love stand-up, you know, from... Being a, a, a kid, my old man had a, what do you have, Billy Connolly um, cassette, video cassette, oh. um, that was kind of like something that we weren't probably meant to watch while, uh, you know, we definitely weren't meant to be watching that at the age that we were. But uh, yeah, whenever there was an opportunity, um, that got um, put in the player. So no, I, lo- I loved it from a really young age, basically. And um, it, then took me a few years like you do you get swallowed up by the the real world sometimes don't you and off to uni and and jobs and that kind of thing but yeah a couple of years after leaving uni moved up to Manchester um and yeah decided to start doing stand-up myself start start performing as well so um yeah that that was cracking I I was all right I was okay I had my moment so I did it for a few years sort of built my way up to you know, proper paid work and probably highlight was like doing weekends up at the stand, um, that kind of thing, got to that kind of level. Um, and then probably realised that that I, I'd, I'd reached my mecca, I'd made my goal, basically. Um, there, there's a massive chasm between kind of getting to that paid opening, paid middle level. And then like you think, oh, the next rung of the ladder might be quite close. But then like you look up and it's like, whoa, there's a that that's a big gap. Um, and, and I'd say especially 10 years ago when this was going on, um, when I kind of got to that level, it was um there was probably far less opportunities around than there are now and less ways to promote yourself and kind of engage. So it was a lot more in the hands of big, I'm gonna blame someone now, why it didn't work out. Um <laughs> it, it was but it was much more in like the hands of the the promoters and the TV people, you know, they obviously do still have a great degree of 
power and control over the circuit. But I think for newer racks now, there's so many new ways to build audiences and to get followings and that, that open so many doors for people, you know, and even 10 years ago, they weren't around as, mm. as much, you know, even if you had a Facebook page or something, you know, there was, there weren't many people, even big comedians that would have that many followers on, on, on social media, you know, 10 years ago, other than, you know, your absolute massive kind of top five or something like that. So, um, yeah, it, it got to a stage as well. And, and I kind of, you know, met my missus around that time as well. And it was like, look, there's a need for this safer surfing lifestyle. As much fun as it's been for nearly a decade, um, probably needs to needs to come to an end about now. So I, I kind of stepped away. And I think it was after um, doing and having an amazing weekend up in Scotland, up at the stand in Glasgow, um, where it was kind of like, it felt like a good it felt like a good point to end on a real high you know I just had one of those weekends where it was like oh my god this is like will I ever do better gigs than I've done this weekend possibly not <laughs> so it was kind of a like a yeah let's uh let, let's have a little step back from it now so yeah I, I was quite happy to sort of stand back at a, a moment of a, a personal high if not one that would be deemed you know that high in the great scheme of things but um uh no that 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 was good for me that was good for me yeah it's it's funny isn't it how you fall into things and you go into this and you go into that and you didn't expect it i mean before you even did comedy would if you spoke to your 15 year 10 year old self would he think that you'd be a comedy promoter now <laughs> i to be honest i was a dickhead then and i still am so he probably <laughs> would it probably would, yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, I was like, I've always liked, you know, I've liked music a bit, but I've kind of been like one of those people that there's like three bands that I like and I still wear the T-shirts now from 25 years ago kind of thing, you know. So so for me, it was like comedy was as cheesy a line as it, as it is and very much um, explains uh, the generation that I'm coming from. But for me, like comedy was like, rock and roll basically you know and it was I was much I was as likely to be with my sister's hairbrush in front of the mirror doing little bits of stand-up that either I'd written myself or that I'd seen you know Eddie Izzard and <laughs> you know Billy Connolly and um, people like that doing than I, than I would be for being into the music so no I, I, I really used to love it as a kid and buzz off of it and I remember there was um uh on cbbc um i know why was why was he watching that when he was 15 years old i think we i think we used to do that when we were 15 <laughs> there was so we were limited i mean i'm not that old i'm not saying there were there wasn't only two channels when i was a kid <laughs> uh but that you know we, we didn't have sky or anything like that but they did um they had a i'm gonna have to hunt it out and find out who the guy was and find out if he still does stand up now because he's a little bit to blame. There was a they followed different kids around on this series, um, and like with whatever their hobby was or their pastime and stuff like you know. So you'd have like here's a gymnast that's twelve years old and going to the Olympics and stuff like that. Um, and then one week on it, they had this kid that was a, a stand-up comedian. Basically, he did stand-up even though he was like 13, 14 years old. And I think he went out into and he did some shows in. 
grown-up clubs and stuff like that from time to time. And I think then it was watching that that was like, oh, hang on a minute. This is like, I think that's when I learned about it as a thing, you know, because obviously as a, a teenager, you don't know about the clubs, do you? Comedy doesn't exist on as a circuit. It exists as someone funny coming on the TV, you know, or on a, a, a video like Billy Connolly, like I said, that gets played to death kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that was when I became aware of it as a thing and sort of started writing sketches and yeah I was like that annoying kid that would you know write sketches that I would then try and you know entertain people with at lunch times at school and stuff like that or you know mad characters and uh, we had we had a thing at our school called um the the balloon debate that they did every Christmas where um it's quite weird thing when if you break it down and go into too much detail like most things at school it sounds a bit weird um but where um, basically the, the balloon debate is where there's a hot air balloon that's hurtling towards Earth. Um, and there's only one parachute on board. And you need to state your case as either yourself or a character or whatever it might be as to why you should be the person that got the parachute. So they, they sort of did like this weird kids review show, like at one lunchtime approaching Christmas every year. Okay. And um, so I like wrote a sketch for it where basically I was, um, who was like, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, and but a, quite a bitter, I mean, I mean it's, uh, again, my younger self knew exactly who I was going to be many years afterwards. Oh, okay. that, he was, it, that he was a very bitter, kind of twisted, pissed off Rudolph at the treatment that he gets and that kind of thing. <laughs> and, and so I managed to, and probably with the Billy Connolly influence, managed to slip in a, a, the odd swear word here and there as well, sort of got that under the radar within the, like in front of the school and everything. Um, and yeah, I think I was one of the, that was like mainly six formers, but I was like a couple of years below that, but went in with the uh, the years of practicing stand-up in front of my bedroom mirror behind me. Um, that obviously none of uh, my competitors had uh, been preparing for so long. And uh, yeah, went in and, and just got like this amazing reaction to it, especially, you know, being up against all these older kids. It was like, who's this dwarf wandered in? You know, like, what, what's this kid all about? <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, and, and kind of like, yeah, a, a real bug was planted at that time. Um, should probably also mention the PE teacher who decided to, that he would enter it that year um, and would go as, I think it was Miss Whiplash, who was, and was in like stockings. I know this is what? so stock, stockings and suspenders. <laughs> he, he had a corner flag pole that he was using as a whip, which I think a couple of kids got hit with. I think I took a, a glancing blow as part of his uh, act oh, as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I should have had a. It's for, you see how I've not that probably should have been the bit that I concentrated on uh, from the <laughs> whole experience. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so strange school. But it, yeah, I, I you know it, a, a long way of uh, getting around to saying basically like yeah, it's sort of like always been within me, kind of the either the performing or then very much I guess I guess my brain's wired a little bit in that. I sort of, I don't know, maybe it's a, a type of, I'm not very good at the acronyms and, and what the actual conditions are, so apologies for 
anyone who does kind of genuinely um, suffer or have any of these conditions. But it, it's almost a weird kind of ADHD, OCD kind of strange way that my brain works about comedy. It's, it, it, it's, it's almost difficult to explain without sounding too far up my own ass. But it's like, it, it, it's kind of like I, maybe some people are like this with music in that they, you know, you get some musicians who they hear a piece of music and it's almost like they see the notes and the structure of it or something like that. And it's kind of like my, like I, I got that from like a young age, like as being a kid, I realized that when I watched comedy, I was kind of watching it as much as, you know, yeah, getting, getting the science that was behind it basically almost. Hmm. And Man, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of points there. My God. <laughs> Sorry, I've not. I've not talked to anyone for a few days. So I'm unloading on you, man. <laughs> it's it's a lot of. <laughs> it's good unloading. You've got lots of different things in different directions. The the thing that is interesting, yeah. I mean, starting at fourteen, I mean, I am jealous of the few comics I hear that start comic at that age. I've heard there's a few comics in America who have started at that age. And I'm like, bloody hell, like Dave Chappelle. And there's another one called Nico White, 14. Okay. And he's now 28. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, I mean, you must have been the cool kid at the school to have that at 14 and everyone be older than you. Yeah, it, 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 it's great. I mean, the great thing about stand-up, I think, is, is it, it's it's a job for any age, you know, and it kind of like a lot of the time, you, it, it does feel like a young person's game. Um, especially when you're out on the circuit and there's so many new acts coming through as well. But there's literally no reason why you, you can't do this at any age at all. You know, there's some amazing stand-ups that are out there that, that start much later on in life. And, you know, and, and there's probably, you know, there, there's there's people that we massively look up to that are in their 50s, 60s, whatever it might be as well yeah. now. You know, funny is funny at the end of the day. So um, I think that's the... the the great thing about it and especially about the circuit at the moment how many nights that there are out there for newer acts how many acts now are running their own nights like way more than there there used to be the manchester circuit um was definitely on a downer for a number of years like you know nights were dwindling and there there wasn't so much around for people um but this like the latest crop or generation coming through um are doing some of the most creative kind of yeah, stuff way better. I'll be honest, like way better than we were doing 10, 15 years ago with the nights that they're running, the quality of it, the branding of the nights, uh, the way it resonates with people is, yeah, it's superb. I'm, I'm really both excited and very bitter about how good like the, the latest lot coming through are. And also, um, I mean, what I'd pinch, pinch seeing a few ideas <laughs> that you can add to your own. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt. They're, they're, you know, obviously they're nicking my ideas, aren't they? But uh, <laughs> no, I, no, I, I'm no, I'm very proud in that way, and that everything I do is, uh, yeah, very much has to come from myself um, or America. That's a good place. Get get googling, man. I've I've come up with club night names from searching right what comedy nights are there in Seattle. Let's have a look online. No one's going to bother if my night's got the same name or a similar name or something like oh. that. It's like, well, you you might as well, you know, it's, it, it's look around, take inspiration from from different places, and there's such a great scene in the states as well that it's um 
seems silly not to share ideas, I think. I'm very, I mean, it, the, one thing I want to ask is I've not really gigged much in Manchester, but you mentioned a key interesting point in that, yeah, being a global thing. And it is interesting when you, when I've had a few guests like come on a podcast from different countries, like one guy from Zimbabwe, South Africa said, if you bomb in South Africa, you may die twice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had people from Malaysia where it's only started for 10 years and they got their influence from America as well. But it, it's, yeah, as you said, a comedy is for any age and for any country in a way. Yeah, and, and, and much more so. And I, I think Corona has helped that actually, to be honest, like the the explosion of online gigs, you know, where people were looking for creative outlets. And, and I um, was definitely pro online comedy whereas so many promoters and well <laughs> what you had was you had an awful lot of comedians slagging off online gigs until they realized how long corona was going to be going on for uh and then suddenly they're all starting and popping up on, you know so they were they were definitely out in force on the forum saying this isn't real comedy rah 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 and it's like we fucking know it's not real comedy dickhead you know no one is saying that being sat in your bedroom on your laptop is anything like a real gig. But I think what it gave was uh, it levelled the playing field an awful lot because the exposure that some newer acts were getting, like being a bit more tech savvy and a bit more understanding the way, the way that the socials worked, got some amazing traction. You know, you look at the people that come through from, you know, TikTok and, and stuff like that, you know, is there's acts that are on the circuit now that are basically on the circuit because of what they did online over the last two years. You know, acts that get recognised for TikTok who <laughs> are still very early in their stand-up career, you know, so if they're, they're kind of their online reputation and presence is probably way higher than, yeah, what it, what it is on, on the physical circuit. Um, but that was great as well, you know, because you, you could pull gigs together with comics from all over the world. There was so much of that going on. Um, and that, yeah, it, obviously it wasn't anything like a real gig in a real club in front of people. But what it was, it was making the best of the situation that there was and finding new ways to be creative. And, uh, and, and I think that's a fantastic thing. You know, I think that's great. Um, and online gigs will probably carry on being being popular because of that. I think. Yeah, it's it's. I'm still seeing it now. Lots of um, lots of gigs in America and across the world with online Zoom mics. It's it's still going ahead now, which. Um, it, it, exactly, and and really important, mate, is that it, it that properly makes comedy accessible as well. Not everyone is able to get out to comedy clubs. Not everyone has a comedy club near them. Not everyone can afford to go out to comedy clubs or travel from their village into the nearest town of where it might be and you know mm. pay for the transport the babysitter the 15 quid for a ticket the drinks and food while you're out and stuff like that you know it's um it, it's not accessible and easy for everyone to go to or you know it could be a disability thing or it could be people that just don't feel comfortable still because of covid going out into crowded rooms and doing stuff you know there's an awful lot of people out there who real life clubs and venues aren't accessible for um that that online scene amazing you know made it all of a sudden you could be you know 
being part of something with amazing comics like all the great stuff Sarah Millican was doing. You know, if you want to go to sort of the, the highest profile of acts out there that were really busy, right through to all the newer guys kind of using it to, to workshop and basically do open mics online as well. You know, it it, it it was so good for that. It was great. I miss I miss COVID. COVID was great. <laughs> <laughs> and the, one, of the, one of the things that's really good, to, and as a comedy promoter, it makes your job as a booker easier. <laughs> it, it, it helps, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, one point is you, you can't generally judge, you can't judge 100% on when you watch people do comedy online because so much of it, yes, in a club is getting that real-life reaction, you know, that yeah. the laughs from the audience. And, and a comic that's getting loads of laughs will in a club that's some clubs are easier than others to play. Some audiences are much more generous than others are. So the, the, and, and comics will know what clubs they are, where you can go to and everyone has a lovely gig and everyone does well. And if you watched, if you just saw a video of that comic in that club, then you would think this guy's amazing. He must do that everywhere he goes. When obviously that potentially isn't the full picture in the true story, you know, so it's yeah. so exactly in the same way of watching someone online, you wouldn't 100% judge them on it. But I think what you do get a good, a good idea of is, is people's it sounds, it goes quite basic, but like confidence with a mic and obviously how much effort they're putting into their writing and, and how much of it, it, it's a completely different medium. You know, it's, it's like performing on, the radio isn't it you know basically and, and no one would slag off comedy being on the radio or being on the tv you no. know so it it's it, it's a new yeah it, it's it, it's been a great way for people to reach out and um yeah a superb way for some comics to promote themselves as well and no i'm i'm all, all for that mate i'm right behind that i think when it comes down to the criticism it's because it's new and it goes against what people think. And when there's something's new and different, people are always going to criticise and say, oh, that's weird, that's fucked up. But then yeah. if they see it doing well, they're like, oh, no, what? No, it's not weird. I'm going to join in now. It, it is, mate, and I saw a ton of it. So we did... <laughs> um, we we did... Um, so our festival, uh, the West Free Comedy Festival, was cancelled in 2020. Um, so that was going to be the first one. That was the launch of it. And as part of that, we had like in this little, little it is literally like one road in South Manchester, West Didsbury. Okay, it's one road. It's a it's a nice road, though. I'll be honest with you. It's it, it, it's not shabby. You know, loads of bars, loads of little things on the go, loads of independent kind of operators as well. Um, and I've lived around here for years, and so it's like was sat in one venue with you know. A, Mrs. one day gone out to get some lunch, taking the kids out and stuff like that. I was just like looking around and said to her, like, there should be a comedy festival in this area. This is like absolutely the right sort of place to be doing it. You know, they're all really support. It's one of those areas where everyone will get behind it, um, you know, and they'll really <clears throat> support the local area, you know, and, and, and support what's going on. Um, so, um, as part of that, we had a new act competition that we were doing, and I think rules came in that made it really difficult about halfway through the heats. Um, so rather than ditching it, we decided to go online, basically, with 
the last couple of heats and then the final. Um, so we did that online. And that was like a, a learning curve of how to have 14 comedians per show all on live, <laughs> getting them to perform five minutes of material with me being the MC from my lounge kind of thing, you know. So we, we learned quickly from that. But it, it went really well. Anna Thomas won that first one, and she's um, just got through to the BBC New Comedian final. Um, so it shows our, our radar was on as well. You know, we, we picked a good one. Um, and then that inspired us to do a whole competition that was the new, what do we call it? The new online comedian of the year. So it was literally open to anyone in the world to enter this online competition. Um, we had like 500, 600 applications, something like that for it. Um, six heats, uh, final that was watched by 35,000 people live online as well. So, you know, that was like an audience for us of people that we'd have never reached before. I now book people that we saw in that, not just the people that won or made the final for paid work as well. Um, and so, yeah, what an amazing way to reach out and get in front of way more people, you know? Yeah. And the competition is, would you say that also doing the competition is one of the best ways of seeing some of the best acts coming up? Yeah, I, 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 I think so. I mean, competition, I mean, we've just opened a whole new can of worms here haven't we with what people think about competitions and stuff like that uh, we always run really nice competitions basically um so it's always a split between audience vote and judges deci decision as well um because i think it's unfair to do it 100 percent either way um as you know i'm sure you've got mates who would be able to take 20 people to a gig with them and completely skew the results of any uh, live gig competition that they were in but then I think when it's also 100% the judge's decision, there'll probably be some promoters and people out there who, you know, they're, they're, an, an agenda could sneak in, couldn't it, basically? And they could have their favourites or people that they desperately want to go through. So we sort of do it 50-50 in that way so that we still have some degree of influence, but we do still really want to know who the audience have enjoyed as well. Um, and in the competition that we had the final of on Sunday, um, in the four heats of that leading up to it, I think the audience agreed with us every single time. So that's quite quite encouraging that we uh, we didn't need to rig it or fudge the results at all. Actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it yeah. It was like pure results. But uh, no, it, it, it's great. I think um, they're, they're, they're good to do because they're fun events. You generally tend to get an audience. They've come to see new acts when they come to a new act competition, whether it's the heats or the final. So they'll come a bit more generous normally, which is great for new acts. Yes, you need to test yourself and you want to get out there and play hard clubs, but you also bloody want a nice geek from time to time as well, don't you? You know, to keep your spirits up and to sort of make you think you're not completely mad for doing it. And um, uh, yeah, so yes, buzzing nights as well. You tend to get really good atmospheres around those nights. So um, yeah, our final that we had, that was the last gig of... Uh, a real life in-person West Didsbury Comedy Festival on Sunday sold out two months before the gig um, was absolute before anyone knew who was going to be in the final. Um, and it was, yeah, absolutely rocking. It was a brilliant night. Hmm. And what, what, um, 
what have been i'm going to ask you a cheeky question here but Go what's on, be, what's been don't mention any names or any situations but what's been what's been the funniest or thing that you're like what what happened here when you run that competition what's been because you know um, the comedy gong shows they go crazy so i mean what's, yeah. what's been the moment like that during the competition to, to be honest it's like because we like we do watch videos of basically everyone that's applying to be in the competitions because there's a degree of it's not just like, like you couldn't do it where absolutely every single person applied and then you're like you're in the competition because you'd have like 200 heats or something you know it would just be ridiculous so you do need to have a degree of that and also there's obviously it, it's a really difficult balance between quality that you want going through but then ensuring that there's diversity in there as well but at the same time not to the degree of it being any form of like positive discrimination. It's like, it, it's hard, you know, it's difficult. You know? We, we generally, and I don't mind saying this, you know, we, we go by merit basically of performer over any other category or, you know, it, you know, it, it's not driven by the gender of people, but it, 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 and that goes in both directions. So in the same way, it's not driven by sexuality or, you know what country you're from either you know so it so it's sort of getting that balance right and the people right so we're, we're lucky that we're kind of pretty pretty guaranteed that everyone that's going to be on it, they've got five minutes in them you know they can they can do the job so we're not getting you know yeah we do but the odd nutter obviously you gotta have them <laughs> in them wouldn't be a new act gig would it without someone that was a, a little bit off the wall um but uh yes yeah, so we've not had kind of those crazy you know, where at a gong, anyone can get up and all they do is, you know, pull their pants down and they've painted their cock to look like a carrot or something like that. You know, I've, <laughs> I've never I've never seen that. I imagine that has happened somewhere <laughs> at one point or another. Yeah, I'd imagine that has. I, I think the best thing for us is we, the, the, um, was the, 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 the audience member that came to every single heat and the final um was this single lady in oh god i'm gonna offend her um let's be honest she's not gonna listen is she um in her 60s um who brought her dog to every single heat and then to the final as well and because she's a little bit hard of hearing uh she has to sit right at the front so every single gig and then the final as well has been with this lady with her, her dog sat on her lap now and again, the dog will heckle um, if anyone, you know, and, and seems to have quite good taste, actually, uh, who they, <laughs> they would be offended by. And then um, uh, and then the, the yeah, the lady, the owner would be quite open to say, like, to an act, like, he doesn't like you or something like this. So that, that, that was quite nice. That added a little bit of a, a little bit of the gong element and the spice to the to the gig still. Yeah, the dogs are bloody funny things. I, I'd I'd love to see someone do a dog act, like bring their dog on stage and just do. I've not seen many acts where they use their pets on stage as some sort of. Apart from Britain's Got Talent, where they had a talking dog, I've not seen it. But yeah, I had the same situation at a gig I was running. Um, one of the acts, the dog fell asleep on uh, through a lot of comedians' performances, and then one act, he's a bit surreal. He's very good though. I recommend you book him if you see him. Valerio Sara. 
and okay. he did um, some fart noise with his hands like this on the microphone, and then the dog woke up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've we've all got to have an angle, haven't we, mate? I mean, you've you've sold and you've sold his out beautifully there. It sounds really good. <laughs> he's, he's he's very he's an Italian comic, very surreal, and he he's yeah he's absolutely terrific, amazing. Awesome, but, I will uh, I will look out I will look out for his name for sure, mate. <laughs> Yeah, it was incredible seeing the dog do that. Like the dogs, and then in one of the pubs that I do a gig in, they've got two dogs. So occasionally, the dog starts barking. So one act, he was struggling a little bit, and then before he said his punchline, the dog started barking, and he got a massive right. laugh. <laughs> yeah, they do have the the ability to uh, yeah get the bigger laugh on occasion, don't they? So it's uh, yeah. Oh, so where are your gigs, then, mate? What what is it that that you run what are you up to so i run two gigs i won one in kingston and one in epsom the epsom oh. one i mean it i book sort of up and coming acts that and then the the kingston one's just a new material night okay awesome so they're both very different they're both uh very friendly people it's a very um if you see any stenders but like a friendly version of that <laughs> That's what I describe the two people I'm working with at the moment. That and one of them has built like a in the Epsom place. They've only been there for four years, but they got a massive community of people that come right. in all the time. Like yeah, I get yeah. in maybe about twenty percent of the people that go there, but they get in the rest. Like I'll right. bring in maybe fifteen, they'll bring in like forty or fifty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they do it just through word of mouth and because of the bond they have. If you look in the reviews of the place, they got four, five like nearly five stars all the time and it's yeah, incredible yeah. what they've achieved that's awesome man that's awesome so how, how long yeah how long have you been involved in them how long have you been running yours for then sorry so I, I i previously ran a few before but i had to sort of start up again because of lockdown and all these things yeah, yeah. going on but yeah these two ones at the moment these two i've been running since the end of lockdown <laughs> and they've been nice, going man. okay so far but it that it, and this is a question I want to ask to you. How important is it to get the right people to work with when putting on a comedy night? And comedy yeah, you, right. You, you mean like your team, basically, for running stuff? In terms of, yeah, the venue and the owners and, uh, and the people you work with. How important is it to get that right? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all about that. It's all about that. If, if venues aren't on board with the gigs that they've... You know, when and every promoter and anyone who's done it will have experienced this where it's like that like you know it, when you're there it's like you're an inconvenience or something you know and it's like oh bloody bloody comedy guys here. oh is it that time of the month again or whatever oh bloody comedy guys here again and they sort of you know try and limit you with like oh right well yeah you're doing the comedy but just to let you know we've got a live band next door and i say next door there's no door you're just gonna have a live band here like in your faces and uh and we've we've made sure that we've uh put the two bar staff with um conversational tourettes on the bar in, in your part of the venue for you as well so they're they're just going to talk all the fucking way through it um and uh when they come to you know collecting any empty bottles they'll just chuck those into the the bottle bin as well you know and uh but don't come and complain because if you do, you know, we're just going to say, well, you know, whatever, it's just the way it is. You know, there's, there's, there's venues out there that 
most places need educating and i think kind of like when you're newer in promoting and you're going out there looking for venues you can be you're so fixated on finding a venue and and you've not had maybe you don't have the confidence yet or, or the experience yet to well have the balls to turn down some venues and just say like i don't think it's going to work you know it's really great that you're telling me that you want there to be a comedy night here but to be honest i, I don't think it's the right sort of venue because it's I think once you've been doing it for longer and you've got that confidence or that, you know, you're a bit more ballsy about it. And probably when you've had enough nights go shitty and enough yeah. failed, failed venue experiences, you, you do sort of get to that point where you're like, no, nah, hang on. I, I need to be a bit more still polite and nice, but a bit more hardball, mm. a bit more hardball with the venues here to say, like, this is what you need to be doing. You know, this is what the atmosphere that needs to be like. This is what, we can't have noise from other rooms. We can't have, no, you have to listen to us when we tell you how the furniture is going to be, not you laying it out and you put in the stage where you think the stage should go and, and you know, all those elements, you know, because the, the gigs that have been around the longest and where it works the best, there's absolutely no, there's no coincidence at all that they have all got venues that are 100% behind what those you know the the people that are running the night and they promote it as hard as the promoter and they're willing to take advice and they want it to be a success you know it's no coincidence so all the venues where where the best gigs are will gen and I'm, I'm sure people will be able to say oh no i run a really good gig in a in a shitty venue you know yeah they do exist i know it um but it makes your job just so much easier to be working with the right sort of venues so when you're going out there looking for a place um it's difficult when you're new and you're so eager to start, like you've decided, um, you know, I've been doing comedy for a couple of years. I want to run a comedy night as well. I'm going to get all this loads of stage time emceeing and all my mates are going to come and do gigs and oh, they'll be queuing around the block for it and that kind of thing. Just sort of, yeah, don't forget, like hunt around a bit. It doesn't need to be the first venue that you go and look at. You're better off turning down the shit ones in the, you know, for the long term of setting up this really amazing gig and having everything work as it should do. Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, the quality is more, I mean, at the end of the day, you want stage time, you want this and that, but if the night's not good, it's not going to last and comedians it, aren't going to like you and you're not going to get what you want. If, if, if it's not a good night, audiences aren't going to come back. So you, you don't know. No. You, you don't want a reputation for running a shit gig, you know? That, that's that's the reputation that you don't want. So as, as keen as you are to get on stage and to be doing stuff um, and to start booking, you know, your mates in to come and do gigs and stuff like that, you, you know, the comedians talk and people on the circuit talk. So I hear comics when they're at my gigs talking about other gigs that they've done and other venues that they've been to. And, other, and I'm sure people talk about me and my gigs like in in other locations when they're off gigging and we'll feed back on oh i did had a great gig the other night here or fucking hell i did a gig there last night that was an absolute pain in the ass you know so it's kind of but at the same time and i've got to make sure i position myself correctly on this as well um i don't know if you get this down your way but on on the northwest circuit there's a lot of shit given to 
open spots like starting gigs up from time to time you know from like the old guard and that kind of thing who are either protect maybe protecting their own interests a little bit or sort of think um you know oh so someone wants to start an open mic gig that's within a five mile radius of where i run my my, my club kind of thing you know and, and you must definitely get that down your way as well you know this whole kind of territorial thing that goes on and and, and the guarding of it as well but it's um I, th I don't think audiences are stupid enough you know to think that whatever's you know that whatever they go to is the only comedy that's out there and they'll understand what a professional night is and what a new night is as well so i yeah don't get me wrong i'm 100 behind acts going out there as is happening in manchester like massive explosion of it at the moment of all these new gigs starting up um yeah 100 but i guess my advice if if i was to be bold enough to give any would just be you don't have to dive into the first thing you find you know Mm. yeah it's it's another one, one of the things as well i think it's i mean if it's not one thing that happens in i've seen in america and in new york and la and occasionally in london is that they set up gigs in the same venue and that is the only thing i'm against apart from mm. that yeah it's fine but if it's if you got three comedy nights in one venue i don't know i just feel that it's a bit something about it doesn't sit right with me yeah 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 that that seems odd but then it's if it's in america then it's sort of we've explained it there haven't we they're, just, they're doing a bit it's slightly weird uh to be honest with you but um yeah no if yeah if you want to run a gig go out there and do it but my advice would be if you don't do all that effort make it as good as you can you know get the basics right about the type of room that you go out there and find in the right venue and if you go in if you contact a pub and the landlord goes, oh, yeah, it'd be great to have comedy here. If you go and look at it and you think, hang on a fucking minute, it is, you know, it's what well, it's going to be a free comedy night where people are having their dinner six yards from the stage who haven't come here for the comedy or where there's a, you know, half the audience around the corner and can't even see the stage or, you know, and stuff like that. It's like, I, you know, when I was on the circuit and an open mic and doing gigs, I went and played all those sorts of gigs, you know, and turned up in strength, you know, all oh, 10 minutes in a town I've never heard of. Brilliant. You know, where do I sign? And you'd go off and, and they can be great nights. Of course they can. You know, I've been to some weird and wonderful places where you'd look at it and think they wouldn't work. But um, generally, I don't think you can go too wrong to sort of get the basics of, you know, what makes a good comedy night and build that in if you're going to start and go and look at what the good clubs are in your area and sort of go right what are they doing here what why is everyone piling into this place you know what what are they up to like what let this you know it's not copying is it it's learning from the industry and also what 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 the bad ones are like <laughs> exactly man you know it yourself if you go and do a shit gig you know half the reasons why it hasn't worked um so probably try not to then replicate those same mistakes when when you start your own night up as well. But but the circuit need you know it needs more gigs. It can it can never have too many gigs. I'm not one of those people that are massively terri territorial about places. Um, you know where you've got locations up up this way that have got the local area has got a population of fifty thousand. 
and there's one night of comedy there a month on like the last Sunday or something like that that seats 100 people, there's, there's room for more comedy in that area, you know, just make sure you don't do it the night before or on the same night or in the same venue, like you said. So I think the one reason why it doesn't work in the, well, it's a bit odd with the strange venues because you want the venue to put their energy in one place and it's easy if it's one place. If the energy split in this place, this place, this place, it's, yeah, like who are they going to support? You want them to well, be... Yeah, it, and, it, and it makes your job so much easier. You know, I've got venues where we turn up and, or you, you know, you contact them on the lead up to the next gig and they're like, yeah, we've sold 50 tickets behind the bar for you, you know, sort of marketing and promotion and and selling tickets for you that you've had to do absolutely bugger all for is a godsend as a promoter you know because you're yeah. constantly the, the stress always is how many tickets have i sold are we going to break even oh my god are we actually going to make profit from a comedy night you know so it's kind of if, if you've got someone that's on your team and behind it and will promote it and very, we will very quickly get rid of venues that we're working with who don't share the social media posts, who don't accept the co-host invite to the event on Facebook, <laughs> you know, where it's kind of, it's like, if you can't even do those little bits, it's like, we're so passionate about it. And we, you know, it is literally my life for a ridiculous number of hours of each and every single day um, that, you know, I, I think it, as I said, it comes with experience, being a bit more ballsy, being a bit older, the mortgage payments being reliant on it as well. <laughs> that, when, that when it's like, if it's not working, we, we, we'll give it a few weeks and see what we can do and see if they're willing to learn and be educated about doing it. But if not, sack it off because there's there's enough great venues out there that lie undiscovered that... Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Just waiting for you to go and find, basically. And you don't want to waste your energy. And I think that's yeah, that's the biggest thing. I think that seems to be a yeah. There's a lot of nights where they just set up any old gig. There's no thought of the quality or putting on a good night. And there's it's just boom, boom, boom. There's no. But as you said, it's something that people will learn, I suppose, over time. Yeah, and and and. You know, everyone, when they start gigs, you know, has in their mind of the amazing people that are going to come and play that venue. Um, well, one thing that will stop you more, more if not, well, definitely as much as, if not more than the actual budget that you've got available is if it's a good gig or not. Really good top comedians with TV credits and profile will come and do a gig that's really, really nice you know, yes, you've got to have budget and stuff like that, but they're much more willing to come and do you a favour or a cheap gig or come and try out some new material if you're running a good night, you know, if the reputation's there, um, if you're getting the numbers in and the audience in as well. Um, you know, everyone likes playing to nice rooms. At, at West Isby Comedy Festival, we our biggest room at the moment is 120 for next year's festival because they're doing some work at that venue that will go up to, I think that room's going up to about 160, 170, like that capacity. Um, but, you know, just this weekend, we've had Glenn Moore, Matt Richardson, Tony Law, Laura Lex, Lauren Patterson, you know, all people from 
live at the Apollo and mock the week and have I got news for you and stuff like that come into play in front of audiences from 70 to 120 people. But because we've built up the reputation of our gigs and of what we do specifically in this area as well, and every gig's been sold out and every gig has been an absolute joy. You know, the audiences have been, you know, at, they've been as as good as any nighttime audience you'd see at four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, so it's kind of, yeah, that it's really important. You know, you can't get past the quality of it. As much as we all like a batshit gig run by a, a absolutely bonkers promoter, um, and we all know who they are, and they're out there, and that they, you know, they won't be listening because they're probably, they probably got, they probably painted their dick to look like a carrot or something, haven't they? And they're still somewhere <laughs> uh, with that at the moment, you know. But so they're really important. We need those characters on the circuit, but um, yeah, you, you can't beat a good word of mouth. It, it's so important. Well, what? So this is some basic questions. There's the questions. Can, can I? Do you mind if I vape? Yeah, go ahead. Vape so as much I, as you want. What, I know because you, you know, I was worried about the, the your audio quality. That was all. I don't want to destroy okay. it. And this goes, and uh, the battery will run out as well. I'm sure. That's all right. Cool. Go on, mate. Sorry, you were saying. What is the? What do you think of the keys to booking a night in terms of getting the right mix of acts and getting the right host? Because I, uh, I mean, I've spoken to a few promoters, and they say. A lot of them speak of making sure it's mixed in different styles, make sure they're not talking about the same topic. And you had one maybe magic act, music act, or an act that's a bit different than a straight stand-up. It's difficult, man. I've seen amazing nights of comedy where it's been for white men on the bill. Um, but, I mean, that's something that we try not to do although it happens on occasion um you some sometimes you can only book the people that are available or who apply for the gigs you can't magic diversity out of your back pocket if if people haven't applied for that particular date you know so again you would look at the app the applications obviously of the people that have said that they're available for it and yeah you'd be stupid to book people to similar on a bill but at, at the end of the day I don't think audiences aren't as aware of that as being an important element of a night I don't think an audience some audience members will but I don't think an audience you know your average audience member of a comedy club um, their enjoyment of the night won't be influenced so much by that if everyone's funny they comedians aren't doing the same jokes you know so everyone even if they're on of a similar style are still going to be talking about different topics and their voice will be different and their look might be different and stuff like that as well um but i i, I think generally for us it's i, I mean i was going to say 99 percent. it's not a hundred percent of our gigs include people with tv credits on the bill um oh. so you know it like always basically you know there, there's there's always someone at every single gig that has got that live at the apollo credit or whatever it might be so th so that's kind of to be completely honest that's my starting point for building a lineup is to find who my headliner is going to be because uh, then that will shape the rest of the lineup around it basically that would generally that that's the point to start at because once you know who your headliner is so they'll be doing the longest set 
they'll be the person on the poster with the most credits that will draw the most attention. They'll be the person when you're doing your press releases who will get the most, who you're going to lead with on those press releases as well. So you kind of build from the front in that way. Um, and then that guides you, you know, so you know that if our headliner is a generic white male comedian, that, okay, now I know what the mix needs to be below that as well, basically, you know, for, for the other acts that are going to be on. Um, so that generally tends to be the way that I would, yeah, I, I, I would start with that blank piece of paper would be like, right, who's the right headliner for this gig? Because it's the most important spot of the night, you know? It, it's, the, it's the one who is going to close the show and do the longest time as a set. I know a lot of people say, oh, your MC is very important. Of course they are. They, could, they, they will make or break a night for you as well because they're, they're popping up. But I think what we tend to do is we tend to find MCs that work for us and the, our image and the way that we like to do gigs. And so we kind of have like a pool of MCs that I would go to that I trust with my baby basically when they're on stage to in effect they're the face of the night aren't they so to be the ones that that promote it and they're the ones who do the wrap-up and ask people to come back the next month and there's some absolutely brilliant MCs out there that that will present a gig as if it's their own as if they were the promoter for it and, and that's what you're looking for with an MC someone who looks like they actually give a shit and like they really care about how well the night's going to go yeah yeah and what 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 who actually i don't have a no and... <laughs> <laughs> no so yeah so build from the front basically that's the way i i do it and as i said yeah it, diversity is always really important for us it is especially um in in terms of like female comics as well you know that's certainly something where i never with I think I've got one coming up. I've got one coming up in Leeds on Sunday where there isn't a female on the bill. And that, that was purely down to who applied for the gig. But um, it's, it's really difficult um, sometimes getting females to apply for gigs as well. Um, you know, it, I think it's easy on like an open spot level, but when it comes to booking pro female headliners and even MCs at times, um, we get far less applications, and I've heard so many other promoters say this as well, of just, you know, we, we, we've got basically a database of emails that that's my first place to go to of where I offer out all the gigs. Um, and then as backup to that, we'll go to the forums. But you, you never get as many, you know, female comics applying online through those forums as well, even when you put it on women in comedy dot com or whatever you know it's it, it's like even then it can be can be yeah can be a struggle so that it's um yeah you have to work but we're, we're lucky we've got like a, a really good core bunch of female comics that we work with and a lot of the apps that we like to champion in our sort of we always have an up and coming spot like the middle 15 is always a a newer app that's breaking through um and yeah, if you look at our bills, nine times out of ten, that'll be like a female app that we'll be sort of championing in those spots as well. 
good. That, that is massively important to me, especially especially being the dad of two daughters, you know, a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, yeah, gender inequality in comedy really pisses me off. And there's promoters out there who I see their lineups and they only book 20 different comedians in a whole year across all of their gigs. Oh, and they're all like middle-aged white guys, basically. You know, you know exactly who's going to be on their bills at, at every single venue. They're all good comics, so it, I'm sure it builds a great night. Um, but I think you know, it's um, it, we do have a responsibility as promoters to give, and and who, we don't want our voices to be. You know, we want voices from all different sections of society. That's really important to us. You know, our image isn't of four middle-aged white guy comedians on stage anyway, you know, so it would go against it. The venues that we do comedy wouldn't sort suit those kind of nights. Um, but yeah, so that, that's massively important for us. And uh, yeah, the, the more women in comedy and uh, yeah, the more that we can give gigs to, all, all the better, really. As I said, I am now a feminist now that i have two daughters as well obviously that is naturally what happens to you hmm. what so uh, that's a funny interesting point you made there and there, there, i mean there was a lot less women in comedy when i started and well, probably when you start but there's a lot more now which is a great thing it's good to bring variety out there um it's yeah it's funny that i hear that when you say that there's a few that, that that's a bit oh why is that why is that that they're not applying for gigs I, I mean there's still there's not as many women on the circuit as there are men you see that from yeah yeah like for a, a great example of that is the applications that we got for the new act competition so it must have been 80 percent male on the applications so then that makes it difficult because then and this is where it gets tricky and where you've kind of you know do you can't just put people on a bill to fill a quota? I, I think that's I, I think that's wrong, you know, because that's kind of comedy should be a level playing field in that it doesn't matter what your gender is, what your sexuality is, what your background is. If you're good, you should get the same opportunities as everyone else. So that is skewed, obviously, by the fact that 80% of the applicants that we got were from white males in the, <laughs> okay, so then what do you do? Do you say, oh, well, automatically all 20 women that applied get through to the heats, even though I'm watching their videos online and we watch comedy, not when we're watching videos and when we're looking at new acts and when we're looking who to progress the paid work, I am not at no point in my decision making does what gender they are come into the decision. I'm not watching a, a female comic on stage saying, oh, great, she's a female comic, because that would be as unfair on anyone else that was applying for those gigs. You, you know, it, it, it's difficult. And also you have to be very careful on how you word things like this because yeah, some, some people will, 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 will get, will get offended, won't they? So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just, um, it, it's great. There's some superb female comics on the circuit at the moment. As I said, Anna Thomas, our first new acts competition that we did, the top three were all females. 
and that was purely because they were the top three in the competition. So yeah. first, second, first, second, and third in 2020 were female comics. Hmm. Yeah, it's that, that's that's pretty well. That's that, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> but but that they they smashed the gig. So we we watched the gig and who got the best response? Who was the who was the funniest? So they won. Unfortunately, that night, if it had been three guys, had been the funniest, they would have got the top three positions. But but it wasn't, and I think that's the only way to approach it is with level playing field, absolutely level playing field. And one of the things that's that also always happens in comedy, people always say, "How do you promote a gig? How do you get people in? How do you do this or how do you do that?" And it's, I mean, that's the biggest thing with comedy, isn't it? When you run a gig, the hardest thing is forget about yeah. booking it, getting people in. Now, it's funny that I get told this and that about advertising about, oh, you shouldn't be putting leaflets through people's doors. That's a waste of time. Or you shouldn't be doing this or that. But I, I've I've tried everything with some of the gigs, and I found that things that I didn't think would work work, and then some of the things that I thought would work aren't bloody working. Yeah, um, do everything. Um, it, it's bullshit about leaflets not working because for some people leaflets do work um, you know leaflets are exactly the right way to go some people a lot of people don't bother with physical posters anymore physical posters work number one thing is promote the gig in the venue where it is that's the first thing to do if you haven't got a poster up in the venue if you haven't got leaflets in the venue you're you're a muppet I'm going to say it, yeah, an absolute muppet because market to the people that already go to the place that you're doing the comedy night. Don't it, it's harder to convince people to go somewhere they've never been before than it is to get the people that are loyal to that venue to go. Fuck, they do a comedy night in this place that we like and come to all the time. That's your starting point. That should always be your core venue. Um, we run, uh, do gigs at um, a rugby club in Macclesfield. They've got a thousand members of that rugby club. So that place is covered in posters. There's leaflets out on tables on the end of the bar. Um, there's, a Q there's a QR code on the leaflets and the posters so that people can buy a ticket when they see it. You know, that works in that venue because they get amazing footfall already. So number one promote in the venue that you're doing but but do you, you do need to do everything it, it, it's a crappy answer isn't it like there's no secret there's no secret trick to it but you you do need to do everything there, there, there's no other way to approach promoting you'll have some venues where you fall on your feet and it sells itself by the people that go to the venue already we've got gigs like that so it's yeah. like external marketing isn't almost needed you know, it's the people that go there. We've got some venues where we sell physical tickets behind the bar because they're those kind of venues where people are much more comfortable and the bar staff are trained and the management have all had a chat with and we say, tell people about the comedy night and say, do you, oh, do you want a couple of tickets? Oh, Bob, you've not bought your comedy tickets yet for next week. You know, it's like I said, it's getting the right venues and being on board and getting them to do that stuff. It's really important. Um, social media is saturated with comedy nights and stuff being promoted and ran down people's throats but 
the number one place that we sell tickets across all of our shows and the festival are um little plug we use a company called joke pit as our as the the ticket link that we promote so the joke pit link is the only one that goes onto the posters the only one that goes onto social media adverts the only one that we're sharing online basically and so that gets 60-70% of our sales is through that link. And that's purely by us sharing it and doing the work to put that link out there. Um, we then use like Eventbrite and Skiddle as a backup and they're completely organic sales because we never push those links. So we know that every single sale that we get from uh, Eventbrite is by people finding it themselves on that platform and exactly the same on Skiddle as well. Um, so that's important for us because that's nice organic advertising that we, we literally list it and then do nothing more with that listing at all. It just sits on those sites. We don't pay for any um, advanced promotion on those sites at all. It, it just purely sits there and they probably make up another Eventbrite do better for us, but then Skiddle, it's weird. We found in some parts of the country. So in Mansfield, they really love buying from Skiddle. In Leeds, they really love buying from Eventbrite. <laughs> and you get zero on the other one. No one buys from the other link in those areas. So that's why you sort of need to, you need to at least try everything at the start to work out your formula for that gig and what's going to be going on in those locations. Mm. Well, one of the things, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And do you find it when you're doing with the event ticketing sites, like one month you won't get any from that site, but then the next month or a couple of months down the line, you get loads? Yeah, it, it can be. And, uh, yeah, there'll be all, obviously, there's different ways that then those sites are listing stuff and how they're promoting it as well. Generally, we find that the more we've got listed on a site, the more exposure you get anyway. So, I mean, I mean, this, I don't know how interesting this is, but I don't know how interesting anything I've said is, to be honest with you. I do apologize. I've rattled on at times. You can tell, at least you can tell, if nothing else from this, I'm a proper <laughs> comedy, I'm a properly comedy geek, and I proper get down into the, into the science of it, both on stage and off stage as well. Um, but yeah, so the, say on Eventbrite, for example, um, on an event page, they will list, other events that you might like so the more stuff that you've got listed say so if you know that you're doing gigs there october november december get them listed even if you don't know who the lineups are going to be yet because it helps with the organic traffic that you will get to your events because if people click on one it will say other events in this area that you might like and if there's not much going on in the other area, it's normally your other gigs that are then listed below it. Hmm. You've got to think about the customer-like experience and the journey of are people specifically going on a site to buy tickets for that event? Generally, if they have, they've got a link. Otherwise, they're going on and browsing. And, you know, a Sunday night gig won't work for x percentage of the population a thursday night gig won't work for x population you know percentage of the population so it's about getting a as much as you can out there looking professional with good artwork looking as it should do 
to then get that traffic to come back to you. Because if they don't buy this month, they could be your front row in two months' time. You know, we're, we're so like fixated on the next gig and on each individual that's there. And, and that's why I say that's why we do posters, why we do old fashioned flyers for some gigs. We do tickets behind the bar on others' gigs, you know, and then we're all over the socials and, and that's why we make videos for every single gig. Every single gig has a video promo done for it under 30 seconds to go on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook because they get more traffic and they will come up more often for people as well. And just because someone clicks on it and can't go this month, you, you don't want to say, oh, fuck off. We never want you to come to any of our comedy nights then. That they can be your audience in the future. So it's about building this network, this data, and then the email database that you build from gigs as well. You need to be having, yeah, you need a mailer that goes out. If you're selling tickets online, all the sites will give you an email database and you, you need to be in contact with them every single month. It's, you know, you, everyone gets bombarded so much and that makes people think, oh, people get bombarded so much, so I'm not going to do anything. It's like, well, sometimes you've got to be in the fight. You've got to be, you've got to be out there, haven't you, doing your bit as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll come at it at loads of different angles because for some people, one thing will get them out and for other people, something else will. And, and it sounds cheesy, but, you know, we want people to join the tribe, you know, however they come to us. I'd love to. I mean, there's there's some w things like during lockdown, some guy was putting some signs saying, "I've now lost my job, please employ me." I'm this and that, and he got shared over social media, and then he became what's it called a manager in uh, Poundland. So it, it's yeah, wow. anything. Wow. <laughs> Poundland. Right. I mean, God, yeah, <laughs> that nothing. I don't want to. Uh, yeah. Uh, forgotten the word. I don't, yeah, I'm not down on managers of Poundland, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, you're welcome at our gigs as well. Of course you are. <laughs> Everyone's welcome, except if you're going to heckle and, and cause fight. <laughs> it is, yeah, apart from that. Apart from that. But uh, no, it, you know, it, there's no secret to promoting a gig. Um, sometimes you fall on your feet and it's a piece of piss and, and that should be celebrated and you should enjoy it. But you shouldn't, equally, you shouldn't get lazy with those venues as well because it can drop off quick. You know, it can be, you know, it can be mad how it can be going really well and then go into nothing. And then if you're starting from zero on it, you know, but um, yeah, main thing for me, it, two tips would be promoting the venue where you're doing the gig. It's mad how many people don't have posters up in the venues and you know you really sometimes you really need to talk to the venues about that because oh we're not that sort of venue and it's like yeah but we've mate if we're not telling the people that come here already what the hell is going you know if these guys don't know about it then that's mad um and then also start to build that email database as well because if they've if they've come once they'll come again even if it's not straight away what would you say is an easier way of collecting their emails rather than just getting a format? <laughs> well, it, it's on the ticket site. So if, you know, Joke Pit, for example, you get the details of everyone that buys a ticket um, that you can then automatically build into a mailing list. Eventbrite do exactly the same as well. They've got free email marketing on their site. 
there's so much different stuff you can do like that for free that costs you absolutely nothing to do um, and just start to build it. And then that's a, a lesson for another day is uh, then the science of how you, you, what should you be telling them in the email? How should you be making it not just get immediately go into spam or um, get deleted and everyone, you know, click that loop, never email me again button that you have at the bottom of the email. One thing that I've heard from a lot of people is they say that Facebook ads don't work. But I, I found that, I mean, I've, I'm working on them now, but it's, yeah. it's, it's been a bit of a struggle. I've tried different things. So I found that event response, I mean, obviously gets the most interaction and got me the most sort of results, but it didn't really yeah. turn much into ticket sales. But a lot of people just give up on it and say, oh, it doesn't work. But I'm seeing a lot of other people use Facebook events to get people in. So obviously it must be working to a point, but you just got to figure out how to do it. Yeah, it's, it, the problem is it's a fucking science. And there's people that are literally studying this at university now to understand marketing on social media. And therefore, if you haven't done that and you don't understand, you know, all the elements that are involved in it, it ends up being trial and error and you end up chucking money down the <coughs> toilet that, that you can't afford to use. Um, and so it, it, it's tricky on that. So the number one starting point, and I'm still learning this, you know, and I'm not saying that all my gigs sell out at all. They don't. There's some that are doing really shitty at the moment that are probably on, on the verge of being dumped if our efforts, you know, don't. If we, but that's the thing. We know that if we're doing absolutely everything and trying it on a gig and it's still not working, we're not proud enough to, that we won't walk away from it, you know, that we'll just go, it's a bloody shame. We really wanted it to work there. But for whatever reason, it's not going to. Let's, let's go and find the other ones that will, you know, because like I said, good gigs at the end of the day is what we want to put on. We want the word of mouth from comics that play it and from the audience that go to be number one tool for us you know and everyone to be buzzing about nodding dog comedy gigs um so number one on social media is organic sharing of stuff that's what you really want to be pushing so that's like we're why we're so strong on the venue sharing the posts that we're doing to their audience the venue will have more people that like their page than like your page you know, naturally, because people go there for food, drink, blah de blah, weddings, book to the room in the past, whatever it might be, you know. So that's number one is you want those organic shares. And that's what paid advertising is always trying to replicate is the power of the organic shares, but nothing can ever match how how strong that is. So when we do the West Ditchby Comedy Festival and we get you know, dozens and dozens of comments and likes and shares on stuff by people that have been to the gig or by the venues that are involved in it. Um, or again, sorry, this could be the, I hope you edit this. This could be the longest episode of your podcast ever. Um, some, some gigs we get sponsors for, for minimal amounts of money, we will get a sponsor for the night because it's someone else who are going to be championing it, who are going to be sharing the posts, a local brewery, brewery will have 20,000 followers online in the local area. Like, yeah, of course you can sponsor my, my comedy night for a few hundred quid a year, you know, that you then basically just use to get some professional banners made or whatever it was, like spend it on something useful, you know. 
but then you've got someone else who's shouting about it. So don't worry so much about the paid stuff, but get your mates to share things, get your family to share things, get, and this is a fucking struggle sometimes, get the comics to share stuff, especially if you've got someone with any kind of profile or lots of mates in the area. Um, we don't want to get anywhere near bringer gigs up north. Thank you very much. We don't do that. <laughs> yes. We are much more civilised than that. Um, we wouldn't cheat in that way. That is uh, despicable. Um, and is clo closing the door on some acts performing as well. So that's absolute bullshit. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's that, like you, you said, you asked that really good question, you know, of like the team behind the comedy night. And the team is more than you and the guy that does the sound. It's the venue, a sponsor if you get one, your mates, the acts who are on, engaging the people that have been there before um you know and it and it's that's why sometimes i wish i only one run one gig because then i would actually have enough hours in the day to be all over that shit you know so that's the that's the hard work for us is we run lots of different stuff so it's trying to build communities around every single gig but the best gigs the best gigs are the ones that have got those communities around them you know that have got loyal followers that people yeah. are buzzing about it um and that's where your efforts should be. Don't worry about spending 20 quid on Facebook will get you absolutely fuck all. Spending 250 quid on Facebook sometimes will get you bugger all. We've paid for um, adverts for a gig down in Birmingham recently with like a local What's On guide um, that got 500 likes on the posts that they shared, about 140 comments of people tagging other people saying this looks amazing let's go to this and we got four sales from that link and it cost us hundreds of pounds so it's you know we we didn't need to do that <laughs> that was a complete way we, we wasted money basically there, there was no need to do that it was great to get that many likes on a post and that many comments but it didn't transfer into sales no because it's the relationship, isn't it? It's like um, it, like a girl will have a lot of guys trying, if they're attractive, have a lot of guys hitting them, but they have to have feel that personal connection or emotion. What am I saying? This is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> no, what, the point is you have to feel that emotional no, connection. No, no, mate. It, it's been nice being on the last... Uh, last ever comedians paradise podcast yes it? i think so <laughs> no I th you have to feel the connection uh, at, the, yeah. at the end of the day in order to to purchase because or to do something about it yeah you got my attention but was the where's the where's the emotion behind it and as you said with local businesses they share it people who have emotions to that business say oh this guy's sharing this i like this guy it must be good exactly so there's all those ways to do it as well you know you can get in with local radio with local newspapers who are normally absolutely desperate to have something to put in their their print paper still you know so that's another way of getting coverage without spending any money um but yeah you, you know we work really hard on that side of things especially around the little festivals and stuff that we do because that's that's how they're going to turn into something massive that that's how it's not today it's not tomorrow but one day it's hopefully for, yeah for the you know yeah that old sound so um yeah that that that's the way to do it man it's it's fucking hard work you know it's not easy
But if you if you can build communities around it and get that organic word of mouth and sharing going, like I said, the the you know the lady in her sixties with the little dog that comes to everything that we do at this little venue that we run in South Manchester, um, she's part of the family now. We have a chat with her every time she comes. Say thank you for coming every time that she's there as well. Um, pretty much every gig that I'm at, I'll stand at the door when people are leaving to thank them for coming as well. Um, you get you get some good feedback when you do that as well, you know. But but that's great because that's like immediate response from people as well. Of they'll come and say, "Oh, we love that one. We weren't too weren't too sure about that act." And and nine times out of ten, you think in your head, "Oh, well, that's because you're wrong." Uh, that act is brilliant, or else I wouldn't have booked them. But you know, you can you can you can learn from that, and people appreciate that engagement. They feel part of something, and if if you're getting people to spend money at the moment, when money's a bit tighter for people, people are unsure about the economy, about jobs, about what the hell's going on. We we got to work a bit harder to get them out, and they're more likely to come back if they feel part of what's going on. You know. Hmm. Yeah, and <clears throat> yeah, you've got a. It's a bit like chips are good, but you need ketchup and salt and pepper to make it good. So you've got to add a bit of flavor. Yeah, exactly. Hold the pepper, mate. Uh, don't need that on chips. Oh, Actually, why not? Come on, a bit of sauce, cheesy chips. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're right. So you know, if you've got a gig that you're running out there. And you're thinking like, oh shit, I've not got loads of money for advertising. I can't afford to do this. Oh, we're not getting the audience in and stuff like that. That would be the place to go to on it. It's like, how can I engage more and talk to people? You know, we're so much on our computers and looking on our phones. That's the great thing about flyers. Because when you, I go out myself personally and distribute flyers for events, you talking to everyone that you every shop that you go in and say are oh, you all right if we we whack some uh, flyers on the end of your counter here kind of thing all oh, right what's what's it for oh it's just yeah mate we're starting this great new little comedy night around the corner from there be like be amazing if you guys could come in you know you, what, do you have staff nights out regularly you know do you do anything like that hey, I, I tell you what it is like my email address if all you guys want to come, then, you know, 10% off what, you know, one of, you know, the boss can have a free ticket or whatever, something like that. You know, those little things cost you absolutely nothing apart from time to do. And how, how much I will get a walk into a shop and get a hundred percent hit rate on my efforts. Whereas paying for something to be advertised online. Who, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's nothing, you know. So you, you just have a walk around the local area. Where can I put up a poster? Who, who can I go and chat to? One thing I want to ask is, so you, how many clubs do you run as a whole? And I want to ask about the admin because I only run two shows. I used to run four or five. I cut that down to two and I find the admin of it all. My God, it is a ball lake. And you went into running festivals and then you're like, you linked in with Gag Reflex to running this and that. And the West yeah, Disney, yeah. how do you manage all of that without? I mean, you said you not had any sleep for a few days. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's probably one of the hardest bits of it, um, and, and definitely for my personality, it's probably it's one of the bits I find hardest. So, 
um, I know that I am a very creative person who enjoys the creative element of it. That's what I really enjoy. And, that, and that's what gets me buzzing. And that's when I'll be up working two, two three on in the morning, designing posters and putting uh, videos together for different staff and, and booking the lineups and, and all that kind of thing. That, 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 that gets my, gets my juices flowing as, as such, you know, in, in, in that that's where I get really buzzing. So yeah, the admin side for me personally, and the way that my brain's wired is like the, the hardest part. Um, so what I would recommend is that you marry my wife, who is re <laughs> really good at admin. <laughs> That that would be my top tip. <laughs> so yeah, she's um, her brain is wired very differently, and she is, you know, properly good at admin and making sure that paperwork and bits like that um, get done. Because I'm honest enough to say that I'm the sort of person that needs a kick up the backside when it comes to those kind of bits. Because I I excel, and also probably that's why I enjoy it because I'm better at those like all this marketing bullshit that we've just been talking about, basically, you know, and they're coming up with competitions and stupid club night names and finding the venues and stuff like that. That That's what I'm good at. So that's how you do it, I guess, is you, you try and, again, it's back, back to your your brilliant question. It keeps coming back to it, mate, earlier, of like the, the, the team, isn't it? You know, you need that. That's why at a company you have someone that works in marketing and someone that works in admin and someone that works in sales because and someone different who's a manager because <laughs> people are different at better things and you wouldn't you would never put your sales guy in charge of finances because they're good at chatting bullshit and fucking closing deals but they're not good at <laughs> making sure the bills get paid kind of thing you know yeah it's knowing being honest with what you're good at and it's exactly yeah it's very important about that and i think both of us have only learned from in terms of picking the right venues in terms of failure <laughs> then that's that's the that's the biggest thing that teaches you yeah 100 percent. now what one more question before we go there's two things so like at the end let, let us know what you want to plug but what is what is comedy giving you how has it changed you as a person? Um, oh God. Um, so I'm probably more stressed than I've ever been <laughs> in my life. Um, as I said, I've not quite worked out that life balance yet, but again, that's a, a personality probably disorder that I've got. That's never been diagnosed to be honest, of kind of being quite obsessive and, um, yeah overly passionate about projects and stuff like that you know to kind of be mad enough to do all this stuff um but it, it, it as much as we meet people out there that we're not too keen on on the circuit and stuff like that um there's there's some people i've met that i absolutely loved dearly and you know as much as family um and would consider very important parts of my life and I've been blessed enough to have run gigs and put on shows with, you know, some of the best comics in the country as well, you know, so it's kind of, I, I, that's the, that's the ultimate buzz for me is sitting back I don't, at what point I actually properly enjoy it. I'm not too sure sometimes, 
Um, but, you know, to be able to sit back and to look at that room of people who are enjoying it and so, so, so important to me is the acts coming off stage and saying that was an absolute joy. You know, that's, that's, that's the ultimate buzz for me. You know, that is the ultimate buzz is because I love the art of comedy. So when I can put something on that those people absolutely buzz off for doing, you know, that that's probably what makes me happiest, to be honest, because I know if that's happened, that a direct result of that is that the audience have had an amazing time as well. And if they have, then the venue is happy. And then at some point down the line, then I'm happy as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> put on good nights to help others and that but yeah that great show because it does everyone good exactly man yes it's no yeah it's not again it's not rocket science is it if the, if the, the show's good quality you book good if you book good acts it tends to be a good night and, and it's again it's not a coincidence when that happens no and especially sometimes when you yeah, definitely. It's it, if and also if you put care into it, if one act struggles, then someone else will do better, and it will have a bit of a plateau because you don't know how someone's going to do. No, you, especially at new act nights as well. You know, if you're putting on new act nights and open mics and stuff like that, it, it will be varying quality within it. Um, I, I think that's when the MC's role becomes even more important to pull it all together and to be the the. The lighthouse the the anchor whatever you want to call it for the audience of you know and having the right attitude and let's be positive let's not slag off the axe everyone's new here it's basic but you know when i was emceeing the gigs over the weekend even with these amazing tv acts you know always tell the audience the more love you give to us the more love they'll give back to you um have we got a deal? Basically, you know, I, I ask them up front, are we good with that? We, is that the way, you know, that's the way tonight needs to be. So come on, get on board. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really important for new at nights that they're supportive and warm places. And um, yeah, if, if you can build that sort of feeling around it, then uh, yeah, it ends up being a joy. And your lot and your reputation is only going to explode because of it. Exactly. Now, for anyone that's listening on this podcast now and saying, yo, I want to know about Nodding Dog. They're the place I want to go. How do they get in contact? Uh, you know, the old Googles, isn't it, mate? Get on the Googles. <laughs> get on there. Just type it in, Nodding Dog Comedy. Uh, we're, on, we're on all the fucking social media <laughs> places. Of course, we are boring, isn't it? Um, yeah, so just type in the name and it, it will come up. And then that will generally link you through to the work that we do with gag reflex and at all the different festivals and and stuff like that as well um and uh yeah give us a shout if you're looking for a gig or if you like talking bollocks about comedy i'm more than happy to like spend some time and for what it's worth not being a guru or anything like that but i'm you know i'm more than happy to chat about stuff with different people and, and that as well so yeah give us a shout Right, guys, so you know where to hit Kev. Uh, if you want to know more about the podcast, please, uh, you can, we're on the Comedians Paradise on, on all platforms. You can follow me in, on all social medias at the the Flopmaster. And um, what's it called? Yeah, uh, give us give us a review on Amazon iTunes. Please let me know your thoughts. 
and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.